Hello, welcome to part two of this week's Oh What a Time part one was released yesterday. But if you want them all in one big juicy lump, subscribe to ohwatatime.com and become an Oh What a Time full timer. All right, now I want to take you back to the Ottoman Empire. We haven't touched on the Ottoman Empire too much, have we? No. It's been relatively left untouched, but yet here we are in the Ottoman Empire. We're on the streets of old Istanbul. We're late in the evening. Maybe it's the winter is upon us. There's a bit of a chill in the air. You're on the busy streets. You hear someone chanting, Boza, Boza. You look out from a window down onto the street and you see a man with buckets slung over his shoulder. Boza, he cries again. One more time, he's saying, Ackman's Boza, marvellous Boza. And then you go up and say, chuck us one then. You place your order. He comes, he presents you with a drink that is milky yellow liquid, thick but warming with a topping of cinnamon. Well, Ed Advocar. Oh, yeah, it looks like eggnog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and anyone can drink it and uh, just have enough of a tickle. It fights back against the chill of the evening. I had a look at what Boza oh. looks like. It looks like custard. And it made me think... Custard hasn't really caught on in a way that you'd imagine it possibly would. Custard is wonderful stuff. If there was a guy walking down the street selling cups of custard, I would have had far more cups of custard in my life than I have. Do you want to hear something absolutely ridiculous, Chris? Tom wrote... <laughs> I know where this is Tom going. Tom wrote a sitcom that I was, I was one of the actors in it. So Tom obviously has the right to... <laughs> was on set every day to see how we were doing, because obviously it's his grand vision. And uh, he would walk around set, and everyone knew that Tom was the writer. People respected him. They were like, this is a great script, man. This is incredible. He was walking around with a polystyrene cup of coffee. <laughs> everyone taking him seriously. He looks like a writer. But it wasn't a polystyrene cup of coffee. It was a polystyrene cup of custard. It was, yeah. <laughs> I have actually And it wasn't actually a polystyrene cup. I love you. Know, it was a coffee mug. Yeah. But I used to hold my hand over the top of it. <laughs> so people could see it was yellow and thick and not brown like coffee is. <laughs> it was such, such a low. And more to the point, I told everyone I was on a diet and I was looking after myself. <laughs> and there was a point that one of the other actors came over and said, and I, I quote, why can I smell custard? <laughs> Which I don't think you could... <laughs> I didn't even know it was that strong a smell. And I had to sort of unpeel my hand off and there was a cup of custard. I will say, though, custard is... I, I genuinely think custard is my favourite liquid. It is. I love custard. If I could have a custard tap in my house, I would use it minimum four like times a boiling a custard it's, tap. A boiling, it's amazing. Great stuff. It's delicious. It's fantastic. Why were you drinking custard again? It was just well, the dessert on set. Filming, it's, it's long days of filming, often quite cold. I don't know. Just You're why not? not? Also, your own also crucially, there was custard there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the crucial thing. There was custard. The answer to the question, why were you drinking custard, <laughs> is there was custard there. <laughs> it's that simple when it comes to being custard. There's, no, there's nothing more complicated. It was there, so I drank it. Oh, man. Yeah, again, anyway. again, you've proved my point. Custard should be bigger than it is. Yeah. It's, is it? Am I right in thinking that it's quite a British thing? I suppose the Portuguese have it in. Um, oh, what's it? What are those little 
Like custard tart, Portuguese custard tart. Your pastel de nata, yeah. Yeah. They have a sort of custardy stuff in there. So is that is that custard like like sort of birds? It's a bit thicker, but yes, it is a bit thicker. Okay. But it's very nice. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a lovely um, drop. I should explain that Boza, this Turkish drink, almost nothing in common with custard other than it looks a bit custardy. In that case I'm out. But it's actually a malt drink made by fermenting various different grains like corn and wheat, and it is one of Turkey's oldest beverages. Okay. So it's still big, is it? Still well. It was enormous. It was massive, as I will explain. It is still quite big in different regions of Turkey, but it's nothing like it was. So Bozza was a, a regional speciality available throughout the southeastern Europe and Anatolia, but particularly loved in Ottoman Turkey. In the 17th century, one traveller to Istanbul noted hundreds of Bozza shops and thousands <laughs> of employees. Just imagining hundreds of custard shops. <laughs> Imagine custard shops. This seems like my absolute dream city. <laughs> I <laughs> thousands <laughs> of employees. <laughs> custard shops, fantastic. Bosa. You'd go on holiday and never leave. Yeah, the Turkish custard crisis of uh, <laughs> 1700. So hundreds of Bosa shops, thousands of employees, and then there's Bosa sellers who walk the streets at night. Yeah. So this is a big thing about the nightlife. You're getting Bosa sellers walking around at night. <laughs> Sometimes they're ringing bells, they're shouting Bosa, as I, as, as I alluded to at the start. Um, and Bosa was seen as a bit of a nighttime drink because Bosa can go off. Oh. So it's something that's it's sold mainly, in the, it can go off in the heat of the day, I, I should add. It's something that's mainly sold in the evening and in the winter. And it comes in sweet and sour versions. The sweet Bosa is more often the one that's uh, bought in the streets. Yep. The sour version is alcoholic. And you get that in kind of Bozain. So that's alcoholic, is it, that one, did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bozain is kind of like a pub. Tom Crane would be dead within the hour if he could if he could get pissed on alcoholic custard. But just to be clear, when I was spotted drinking custard at half three on a TV set, that wasn't alcoholic custard. I want to make that clear. <laughs> I hadn't. It wasn't an Irish custard. I hadn't put get whiskey in it. Whatever it is you put in it. Why could I the smell whiskey and custard? <laughs> exactly. It was a completely teetotal custard. <laughs> anyway, the Bojane is kind of like a pub for Bozza. But now I'm imagining a pub that sells custard instead of pints. Yes, that'd be you'd love that. Oh, it'd be nice. Yeah, absolutely. If there, if one of the taps was custard, <laughs> if it was Heineken, Guinness, whatever, Samuel custard, and at a point in the night, I'm going to have a custard. It won't be a pint. I'm not mad. I definitely have half a pint of custard. Within the first three drinks. I'm not mad. You've got to be having a pint of custard if you're going into a custard pub. And just before I leave to go home, I'd have a final half pint of custard. One for the road. <laughs> Nightcap custard. And there'd also be a point in the evening when I walk back to the table and I'm carrying four pints of custard for my friends and my friends are like, what have you done? What have you done? Anyway... I think it's perfectly normal. So the Bojane is where you could buy some Bozza, but also some food. They would sell kebabs at the Bozza. Oh, brilliant. But rather than, you know, the turning kebab kind of lighthouse thing you have now, yeah. electric. The elephant leg. It would be turned manually ah. on the spit. Someone's manually, an employee is doing that, turning it around. Nice. Again, a job from history that I think, yeah, I'd probably... I could, yeah, I, I could, could do that. I could handle the turning of the, the spit. But you also get flatbreads, uh, fruit, minced balls of liver, offal. Now, there was a version of Bozza 
that was controversial, the Tatar Bozza, so-called because it was laced with opium. Oh, wow. There's a way. Okay, this 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 is how I'm Tom off my tit. Meet, meets his end. <laughs> now, custard is quite a comforting drink. Smack now, you lace it with opium. You're having the deepest sleep of your life. I didn't think I'd have to make this um, little note twice in an episode, but just to be clear, when I was caught drinking custard at half two on a TV set, it wasn't custard containing opium. <laughs> I really hope that's the final footnote of this episode. I don't want to have to keep going back to that moment in my history, but there was no opium in that custard. See, that must have been real. Do you want... I mean, I've never had opium, but the idea of a, a, a thick drink before doing something like opium feels like a weird... Doesn't it like a, a thick, heavy, eggy drink and then some opium? Doesn't, I'm no expert. It doesn't feel like the natural bedfellow, does it? I'm fine to say that. I, when I went to Laos when I was travelling in Asia, I ate an opium pizza. Huh. And I uh, I don't know what happened to me, but I felt really sleepy. I went back and I slept. And when I woke up, I thought the Virgin Mary was at the foot of my bed. Right. Yeah. Offering you a custard. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I get sleepy after a domino, so I don't think it's that unusual. <laughs> Are you sure it wasn't just some quite heavy pizza? Maybe it was the pizza. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was the pizza. So anyway, right, so if you're drinking opium-laced bozza, obviously you run the risk of getting thrown out of the establishment. Here's the thing they did in these Beaujolais, which is that um, they would have to be a, a kind of referee. Yeah. Think of it like a pub. It's kind of like a, they'd have a referee there. He's kind of like a quasi-bouncer. The individual is usually an older, elderly customer who acts as a referee of the establishment. And what he says goes. Oh. So it's kind of like a bouncer without the physically kind of intimidating aspect. Like a respected elder, basically, you're saying, yeah. A respected elder, exactly yeah. that. And people would say stuff like, bloody hell, he could drink a lot of custard back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen him dump pint after pint of custard. He's a comedy writer, actually. He, he, does, a, he does a history podcast. Yeah. Can anyone smell opium? <laughs> would that work today, the idea of some old guy? I'm not sure it would, but I like the idea. I do like the idea. I think it might. It maybe would. Absolutely. Because you'd kind of respect that, you know, it's not the, the idea of the bouncers is quite confrontational, the responsibilities of a bouncer. But if it's an older person. And I suppose they're also, you're right, respect is the thing. There would have been a galvanising kind of group. Like if if anyone had a yeah. problem with him, then everyone else in the pub is going to back around this guy because he's respected. You know, they'll become one and hopefully deal with the issue if that makes sense. Yeah. Rather than just seeing what the bouncer does. Yeah. No, okay. No, I'm with you on that. I'm sold. I like that. So again, on this aspect of nightlife, the Bozza sellers would march long into the night. They were night travellers, very much part of parcel of Istanbul's evening culture and economy. Easily romanticised now, but they've all gone. Oh. That whole kind of culture of the Bozza seller has disappeared. The Bozza seller still exists, but mainly at shops, delicatessens, ice cream parlours, travelling street vendors. The Bozza went out of fashion, largely due to kind of Ottoman and Turkish elites who have preferred the modern refinery of European beverages like coffee, red wine. German beer in the 20th century. These new drinks kind of phased out the Bozza. And so, yeah, they've been put back into these shops and they're seen as a kind of, it's a bit of a gimmick now it's seen as in Istanbul. A bit of a romanticised gimmick, similar to kind of old man pubs with like antique bar billiard boards and skittle alleys. And so they're there really, the Bozza drink kind of harkens back to an older time. Absolutely fascinating. Well, I'm going to have to give one a go. Next, if I if I'm in Turkey, I'm gonna have to have a boss. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I will be thinking about Tom Crane. (laughs) 
But how disappointing when you'd have a big sip and it doesn't taste like custard. Exactly. But then, yeah. Chris, isn't that true of every drink? <laughs> This episode of Oh What A Time is brought to you by NordVPN. Tom, you are, in history, what is known as a Luddite. Yes. (laughs) You use a 56K dial-up modem. Yeah. But let me bring you into 2024. Let me tell you about NordVPN. Oh, you've used NordVPN. I have used NordVPN. I have happily claimed that my computer and IP address is based in Bulgaria. Why? That's not important, is it? But the fact is, I've done it, and I loved NordVPN for allowing me to do that. Think of NordVPN, Tom, like a one-day internet machine where you can take it anywhere in the world yeah. and make your computer act on the internet like it is in a different country. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. You've always wanted an Austrian laptop, haven't you? Well, now you can have one. <laughs> 60,000 plus servers in 61 countries change your virtual location easily. You can get an exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash O-W-A-T. That's nordvpn.com forward slash O-W-A-T. And it's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Fit for even a Luddite like Tom. Enjoy your Scandinavian laptops! So today I'm going to be talking to you guys about the birth of modern nightclubbing and DJing as we know it today. So, Ellis, you're a DJ. I think we you'd say that you're you're a DJ first, aren't you? That's that's your. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm a sort of DJ first, sort of lover, lover second, yeah. sort of podcaster third. Uh, the kind of DJing I do is DJing at its most basic. Okay. <laughs> And it's most so name basic. two songs that you play and then tell us how you'd go between them. What is the level of mixing? Uh, zero mixing. I press play on one deck and then when the song ends, I press play on the second <laughs> deck and I might and I'll bring the fader down on the on the first. Deck. And that really is it. What a bit of air horn to mask the join? Uh, no, I might take the mic and go, there you go, lovely, superb. <laughs> when I was 18, I briefly did a bit of DJing in a little just a bar in Bath where I grew up. I can't remember the name of the place was. Anyway, my first ever gig. I was so bad at mixing. I just, I, I literally couldn't, basically couldn't beat match. I couldn't ever get the two records to play at the same rhythm. And quite early on, I managed to do somehow a seamless mix between two records. And people sort of looked around and people were quite impressed. And I was so amazed by this that I then took the wrong record off and the music immediately stopped. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, rather than removing the one that I just mixed out of, I still remember this, this painful memory of just the embarrassment of loads of people going, oh, you're an idiot, what are you doing? Did you have a DJ name? I did not know. So you were DJ Tom Crane? Yeah, I was... And there is a big DJ called there Tom Crane exactly, now, yeah, yeah. I remember once so I was talking to you about exercise and being in the gym, and we got onto the subject of what we think about when we're like working yeah. out. And I said I don't really think about anything; I'm just like listening to music. And you said you think about DJing in Ibiza with your top off. Is like the vision you have in your head. <laughs> that is right. Yeah, that's true. Because I listen to dance music when I run, and I imagine I'm behind the ones and twos, which is what uh, us DJs call them. And I, uh, I'm imagining the crowd going wild. After Wales got to the semi-finals of Euro 2016, I came back 
I'd watched every game and it had been the most transformative, just profoundly blissful experience of my life. And I was at the gym and I was running on a treadmill and I'd forgotten my headphones, which is really annoying because obviously it's very hard to uh, just to keep your mind occupied if you don't have headphones on a treadmill. But I thought, do you know what? I'll just think about Euro 2016. <laughs> so I thought about every game. And then it got to sort of, I don't know, I'd been running for about 20 minutes or something. And then I, I, I remember the semi-final game we'd lost to Portugal, of course. And I imagined myself playing in that mm-hmm. game. And I imagined myself scoring a goal late on in front of our fans and putting us in the final. And I imagined myself being embraced by Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey and Ashley Williams <laughs> and all the players in that team. And uh, I realised I'd done my 25 minutes or whatever, stopped the treadmill had a look in the mirror, realised that I was in tears. <laughs> so, I was so moved by my own sort of daydream that I'd burst into tears at the gym. I was crying. And the tears were dripping down my face. Like onto the dread onto the treadmill. What do you think other people in that gym would have thought? Either you really hate running or you're going through a difficult breakup. Yeah, difficult breakup. Yeah, what are the two? I thought, poor sod. His wife's left him. So, <laughs> for this explanation about the birth of nightclubbing and DJing, we're going to have to start by getting into our time machine and we're going to go back to Paris 1953, okay? To a nightclub called Le Whiskey à Gogo. So you might want to put on a nice outfit. Any ideas what you want to put on for this sort of, this trip to 1953? What are you thinking? Uh, it's got to be yellow so that the custard stains don't show. Perfect, there you are. <laughs> And Chris, West Hampshire, what are we thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice 1950s big badge. Exactly. Cotton yeah. heavy. Proud. Proud. So I'll tell you about this place. Le Whiskey A Go-Go was a nightclub or a bar that was designed to appeal to American customers, mainly military personnel, who were still stationed in Europe after the Second World War. And it served whiskey rather than wine, which is where you'd, what you'd get in most night clubs around Paris at that time. But crucially, it was a place where you'd find a woman called Regine um, Zilberberg. Now, Regine was an incredible person. She was of Polish-Jewish descent. She despised the Holocaust by hiding in a French convent. And then she got work in the cloakroom at Le Whiskey A Go-Go and then worked her way all the way up to managing the club. Now, she's an incredible person. And she had an idea that would change the world. So at that time, nightclubs only featured live bands or, in the case of Le Whiskey A Go-Go, a jukebox where people chose their own songs, which actually, incidentally, is something I, I miss from pubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I do miss that. I love that when I first went out, that experience of putting a bit of money and going, these three songs I've paid for represent me and I want to hear. I do, I do kind of miss that. Her idea was, instead of a jukebox, was to replace it with a disc jockey who would make use of turntables to ensure that there was never a gap between the music. Now, there was quite a weird reason as to why she didn't want a gap between the music. Do you want to try and guess why she was so desperate for consistent music? But it would have been weird, no? Isn't it weird if you just play one record and stop? There's like, just... But that's what it would have been previously. A band would have played a song, yeah. they'd have stopped, yeah. or maybe someone would put a record on, there'd have been a break, and the next record would have been placed on. But using multiple turntables changed that. Why do you think she was so keen for this sort of consistent sound? I don't know. So the reason was, she explained that when the music stopped, uh, you could hear snogging in the corners, and it really killed the atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know who's kissing that loudly. I know the French are sort of quite amorous people, but... But also, yeah, if there's if 100 people snogging at the same time, 
It's like the purring of a cat is quite quiet, but a thousand cats purring simultaneously. You know, you'd hear that half a mile away. So it disturbed her enough to want to sort of change the way that this nightclub approached music. And then she accompanied this constant sound by adding lights above the dance floor. This had never been done before, which pulsated according to the tempo. And behind the decks, Regine and her assistant wore white lab coats and adopted the guise of an operator. That's what they referred to themselves as, just operators. They operated the equipment. Love the lab coats. Yeah, it's a great look, isn't it? It's so cool. That's fantastic. The name disc jockey didn't appear at that point. But there they are, stood in lab coats. This is back in 1953, operating this equipment so people could listen to music consistently throughout the evening. And people absolutely loved it. Immediately, people just thought, this is such a great way to enjoy your night out. In fact, her innovation was so successful that in 1958, it migrated across the Atlantic to Chicago, then Los Angeles, and it was copied in France, elsewhere, and it made its way to London. Regine soon had her own place called Chez Regine in the Parisian Latin Quarter. So this person who's come from, you know, such a difficult background suddenly has her own nightclub in Paris. She named herself the Queen of the Night. I'm not sure what the rules are on giving yourself a nickname, whether that's... (laughs) If that's all right, but yeah, always dodgy in my opinion, and they're always self-aggrandizing. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but despite the fact that the Whiskey A Go Go played non-stop records, the world was still waiting for its first actual DJ, someone whose job it was, who referred to themselves as a DJ, who that was what their role was. But they wouldn't have to wait long because in 1959, Austrian businessman called Franz Karl Schwerdinger opened a new restaurant in Germany in the city of Aachen near Cologne. And it was inspired by something called Radio Luxembourg. I don't know if you know Radio Luxembourg. But yes, yeah, 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 yeah. The cult radio station that basically played pop music at this time. It's yeah. completely unheard in quite a conservative time to have pop music played. Well, before like Radio 1. Exactly, yeah. And it gained this cult status very, very quickly. And so this guy who owned this restaurant, he employed someone simply to put on records. However, it was going down so badly, basically... The people in the restaurant just weren't enjoying the music, not really getting involved. It was going so badly that a journalist who was there one night in 1959 called Klaus Quirini drunkenly made his arrogance clear. It resulted in the manager coming across to him and saying, OK, if you think you can do better, go on. And he did, which I, I, I admire that thoughts on that confidence. If someone comes up to you in a bar and goes, OK, you're better than that. Do you think you're better than that DJ? Get up there yourself. It's a kind of ultimatum that you always think will win. It's like the the nightmare scenario for the stand-up comic. Yeah. Is that you're being heckled and you say, well, if you think you're funnier than me, then come up on stage and, you know, do a bit. And then they do get on stage and actually they're the next Billy Condi. I mean, that, that is the nightmare scenario. <laughs> and they do an hour and a half of... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just four gag a minute gripping. stories. Exactly. <laughs> so Klaus, this journalist, took to the decks and loudly announced, ladies and gentlemen, now uh, it's worth giving some context here, there was a very popular song called A Ship Will Come In uh, at that point. Uh, It said, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to roll up our trousers and legs and flood this place because a ship will come with Lael Anderson. And this huge song at the time was referenced in his jokey introduction and they absolutely loved it. They found this hilarious, this stupid little joke. They loved his shtick. And throughout the evening, he told more jokes about the records he was going to play. He personalised the whole thing and people just went wild. And he kept riffing throughout and it went so brilliantly that by the end of the evening, the manager offered him 800 Deutschmarks a month to stay on as a permanent DJ there. Looking to capitalise, he quickly gave himself a stage name, which is DJ Heinrich. And so the first DJ was born. He was the first person to call himself a DJ for it to be their primary source of employment. And this is something which is accepted 
widely by music historians that this chap was the first ever DJ. And within a decade, DJs were everywhere and discos were commonplace throughout Europe. So by 1975, now bear in mind that this idea of DJs and, and dancing to records just wasn't a thing merely 15 years ago earlier. By 1975, West Germany had more than three and a half thousand venues with the average DJing earning around £800 a month, according to Billboard magazine. And the DJs took their jobs very seriously as they do today. Obviously, it was quite different back then because obviously you had to take records. Billboard magazine estimated that British DJs of the period carried 500 singles and 100 albums to any gigs. Some Ooh, even more with a view wow. to meeting any requests that they might Back receive. Exactly, yeah, completely. God. Whereas now, obviously, it's all through laptops and iTunes and all this sort of stuff. People were dragging around 600 records with them to gigs. In terms of popular culture... There can't be many bigger innovators ever. Yeah. Because DJs, do you know what? This, this, this is genuinely true. This sounds absolutely ridiculous. Isn't it? I fancied a takeaway and I said, do you know what we haven't had for ages? Fish and chips. There's a really nice chippy near us. Yeah. It is small. Okay. So it's like you can probably get six people in this chippy at most, and there's, there's a <laughs> vending machine. With that sells like cans of you know Tango and Fanta and stuff. In the probably I don't know eighteen inch gap between the vending machine and the counter where all the fish and sausages were, he had squeezed in a DJ. (laughs) 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 That's not where I expected that anecdote to go. Alexa, eight p.m. on a Friday night, and there were people queuing in the street trying to just trying to buy a Savoy and chips. (laughs) And he's playing like Balearic anthems. <laughs> it was like April. Oh, that's so great. But they are everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And it's now... If you remove DJs from the modern night out, it would be utterly different. Completely. And this is all down to Regine uh, Zeibelberg, who, as I say, had, if she hadn't had such a hatred for snogging, and I want to sort of block it out with consistent noise. We probably wouldn't have ministry of sound and passion and all these sort of things we have yeah. today. So God bless her. There you go. That's uh, that's nightclubbing and DJs. So this is part two. Part one came out yesterday. But if you want both parts together, as they should be in one lovely piece, then do sign up at owhatatime.com and become an owhatatime full-timer. We will forever be in your debt. And what would really help us out if you like the podcast, tell a friend. Well, I mean, crucially, tell a friend you think will enjoy it. So don't, <laughs> don't, don't tell your enemy don't who you've got anyone. nothing in common with. <laughs> leave, I'll leave that up to you. Not your friend who famously <laughs> hates history. <laughs> Hate history. And also, while we're at it, if you haven't yet, do yeah. leave us a review, write something nice, stick five stars down, it all helps spread the word. Not not if you're one of our enemies. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much, guys, for your time, and um, yeah, we really appreciate Goodbye. it. We'll see you next week. Bye.